You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. Thank you so much. Um, So I think I'll start with when I met my partner. We met about eight and a half years ago, and we were both in grad school. And we both ended up um, getting our PhDs. And I think because of that, our whole life just feels a little bit delayed um, because that ends up taking so much time. And so we, we kind of always knew that we wanted to have kids, but we also really liked our lifestyle and the life that we have now. We like, I don't know, sleeping in, going on trips. Although I have to say we sleep in less and less and end up waking earlier, waking up earlier and earlier. Um, but I think that was just a really hard decision for us because we knew we wanted to do it at some point um, in our life, but we also didn't feel ready to change things. And for me, I'm not really someone who loves babies. I haven't really grown up around babies. I don't really know what to do around them, but I've always really wanted to be pregnant and I really wanted to experience that. And I also really want to have older children. Um, so it's kind of a funny thing um, thinking about that whole process. I Everyone tells you that once you have a baby, um, you'll kind of just like jump right into it and, um, and know what to do. That's something I'm still a little bit nervous about, but, um, but I hope that it is the way everyone says it is. Um, I have also had an IUD for about 12 years. I've had three of them. And so that made it really hard for us as well, because we really had to make a conscious decision about conceiving. Um, so I had the Marina, I think it's called, um, twice. And then I switched to the Kylina, which is apparently lower, uh, hormonal doses. Um, and that worked out for me really well. I, I liked that I didn't have to take a pill. I'm usually someone who's not very good at remembering those things. And I didn't have any issues with that, but it did make the conversation around conceiving much harder, um, because it's not like you can just say, oh yeah, I'll stop for, uh, taking birth control for a month or so, and we'll see what happens. You really have to kind of make a decision, go to that appointment, get it removed. Um, so that was just kind of something we were circling around. I was, um, I am 30 now, and my partner's 35. And so age was also kind of creeping up on us. It's not like we're that old, but we know we want to have a few kids and that, that just kind of was in the back of my mind. And at the same time, um, a lot of our friends were getting pregnant and um, I'm kind of the planner in the relationship. I like to prepare for things. And as our friends were getting pregnant around us. Um, I don't know, like at first I was happy for them, but over time it also just made me reflect on what we want. And um, it just made me feel more and more ready, ready to take this next step. My partner is a little bit more um, go with the flow. And so I think that was also difficult because I felt like I kept bringing up the conversation um, and like I was the one pushing for it, even though I didn't feel hundred percent ready for it either. But that, that was kind of a strange dynamic that I think has also played into the way that I feel about um, pregnancy loss as well and and this whole journey. And so at the end of 2019, we kind of said, you know, we would probably be ready to start in about, um, you know, six months or so. We knew we had a few things that we wanted to do for ourselves before then. So 
we really wanted to go on a big trip again, uh, the two of us, maybe to Japan. And I really wanted to hike across the Alps. We live in Germany. Um, so we, we both met in England, but have moved to Germany a few years ago. I'm originally from the States. Um, and one of the things that I find really interesting listening to uh, these podcasts is also hearing about how different the medical systems are. So that's something that I'll mention a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, I really wanted to hike across the Alps. We also had this bike race planned that we wanted to do in 2020. And so we like, we had it on our horizon, um, but yeah, still had this sort of checklist. I was really happy in the end. I did get to do my hike and we did get to do the bike race. Obviously a big trip uh, wasn't really in the cards, but that's okay. Um, and so after we did those things, I got my IUD removed in September and everyone that we knew got pregnant right away. So either they got pregnant in their first month before they even got their period after getting off birth control or even on accident. And so on the one hand, I kind of assumed that it would happen right away for us, um, just because that's, that's what we heard from everyone around us. And on the other hand, I also knew that a, a lot of people do struggle to get pregnant. And I kind of thought, you know, if none of our friends struggled, maybe it's going to be us um, who struggle. And that was something that I was just really wary of. Um, I should also say that I did my PhD in social psychology, and I, I worked with families who use reproductive donation. So I went all over the UK and interviewed families who, um, who had children through sperm donation and egg donation and surrogacy. And so I have talked to about 150 families who have experienced a lot of uh, difficulties having children. And I was always a bit anxious uh, because I knew how difficult it can be. So that was also in the back of my mind. Um, but yeah, so I got my IUD out and that was in the middle of a cycle. And then I had some spotting, which was more or less my first period that was right on time um, for about a 28 day cycle, but it was really light. It was kind of like when I had my IUD and um, because I am a planner and a preparer, I, um, you know, I started temping. I had ordered all of the ovulation strips. I was really out of touch with my body uh, because I had this IUD for 12 years. So I, I also didn't really know what my, my normal cycle is like. Um, and I, I really felt like I was relearning sex ed because I feel like a lot of sex ed before is all about avoiding STDs and pregnancy. And mm -hmm. suddenly I wanted to get pregnant. And, um, and it was just like a whole new world of things that I, I just didn't know, like learning how my body works. And it was, it was just really fascinating, that part alone. Um, and I really wish that I had known a lot more of this earlier. Um, for example, I wish that I would have gotten my off of birth control earlier um, but because everyone around us got pregnant so quickly, I just, I didn't want to take that risk and get pregnant before, before I felt ready. Um, but yeah, I, I think we definitely need to do a better job teaching a more holistic sex ed. That's not just about avoiding outcomes, but also about how our body works um, in getting pregnant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, I ordered all of these ovulation strips. Um, I was really relieved because I, I ovulated right on time. So that was reassuring. Um, but then I was really shocked um, because I started bleeding about eight days after ovulation instead of about 14 days after. Um, so I had a really short um, luteal phase. I don't, I don't actually know how to pronounce that word. Um, luteal phase. Luteal, yeah. Um, so that was kind of shocking. And it was also a lot of blood um, during, when you have an IUD, you don't really bleed so much. You just kind of have spotting. And so I was just really not used to it. It was a bit big shock to, uh, to see that much blood. 
And I was just also really disappointed. Um, I think most likely my body just needed some time to adjust after my IUD. Um, but I started kind of spiraling and worrying that something was wrong. Um, but, you know, at least my temps were still good and I could see there was a clear shift. So I was reassured that I was ovulating. And um, in the second month, I ovulated late, um, which was a little bit concerning, but there was a lot of stress going on in our family. So I was like, you know, again, it's probably a combination of getting off of the IUD and, and also the stress. Um, and I did take a pregnancy test around 10 days after ovulation and I, I saw the faintest line. Um, it was just, it was extremely faint. I think most people probably wouldn't have been able to see it. And I was also not sure if I was seeing it just because I wanted to, um, or if it was actually there. I, I ended up messaging a friend right away um, who was also pregnant and I just really needed that reassurance. I needed someone to, to tell me that it was there. Um, I also got on this uh, pregnancy test checker app and I was like constantly uploading photos of my tests and, um, and yeah, I, I don't know why I just, it just felt so unreal um, at that point. And I also needed to take a test uh, the next few days. I needed to see that line darken um, and slowly and surely, but surely it did. Um, I felt really addicted to seeing that line. Um, and I think I took like 30 tests. It was absurd. Um, and I did call my doctor um, a few days after, and I told, I told them um, I had a positive pregnancy test, and they told me to come in um, the next Wednesday for, uh, for a blood draw. And they also said for an ultrasound, which I was really surprised to hear um, because I had also done a lot of research and I didn't think that there was really much that you could see at that point. Um, but I was also happy about that. I kind of welcome all information. Um, and I actually ended up telling my parents a day or two after finding out this was on Thanksgiving um, because they could really use the good news. We, um, my, a lot of people in my family had recently had COVID. That was really difficult. And my uncle had um, passed away in a really shocking um, and traumatic way. And so I just, I was really happy to be able to tell my parents the news and kind of have a um yeah some positivity in their life at that point and it was really emotional telling them um both of them cried and it was it was just really nice and you probably heard um nothing about my me telling my partner yet and I hadn't um I actually told my parents before telling him and um before we got pregnant right when we started thinking about pregnancy, I'd asked him how he wanted to find out and he never really responded. So I kind of felt like, okay, well, the decision's mine then. And I don't know if this is a thing in the States, but in Germany, um, Christmas is huge. And a lot of people do um, ad advents calendars. So basically like a little gift um, each day of December leading up to Christmas. And this year um, I was doing a calendar like that for him. And so I kind of thought like, I'll make I'll make telling him uh, part of this calendar and I'll, I'll tell him on the first date, uh, which would be the next Tuesday. So almost a week after I found out. Um, and I was just, I was so excited to tell him it was really, really hard to wait. Um, and on that Sunday, we were sitting down at breakfast and his parents had written to us and they said something like, you know, happy first Advents uh, Sunday. And then I was like, okay, well, it's the first Advent Sunday. So, um, so I might as well just start the calendar early and, uh, and keep it going. So 
I ended up putting a pregnancy test uh, in a card and putting that under the tree as the first day of this calendar. Um, and I told him, you know, he has something to, to open. He didn't even know that he was getting this calendar at all. So um, he was really excited and it was really funny because he opened it and I, I swear it took him like two minutes to really understand what was going on and um, I ended up recording the whole thing um, sneakily, but um, it's really hard to watch that now. But yeah, we were... Um, Yeah, we were both really excited and um, I was I was really surprised at how emotional I was. Um, I cried a lot of happy tears then and um, I remember a friend asking me how I felt and I remember just telling her I was really surprised at how happy um, it had made me. And, um, and it was also interesting because as soon as I told my partner, um, as soon as you see that line, as soon as you kind of start talking about it, your brain just goes a million miles an hour. Um, you know, you start thinking ahead. My partner was like, okay, well, we need a bigger car. And there's just all these different ways that, that you start thinking about what your life will be like. Um, so that was on the Sunday. And on the Wednesday, I went in for the blood draw. Like I said, they also did um, an ultrasound and all of my ultrasounds have been um, vaginal ultrasounds, um, which is something that I, I didn't mind at all. Um, I think at that point, your body is no longer just yours and there's a sort of reason to it. And that sort of discomfort just is, is part of the equation. Um, so yeah, there was an ultrasound. We couldn't see a sack yet, but I wasn't surprised or worried because it was still so early. At this point, I was about four plus four. And, um, but the uterus lining uh, was thick. So that was a good sign. And my doctor said she would call me back that day with the results. And, um, and I was really anxious. I was just kind of like constantly checking my phone. And she... Um, she did end up calling that day, um, which, which, you know, just kind of, I was a nervous wreck. Um, and so I called her the day after and she apologized. She said the lab hadn't sent her a notification. Um, but she said the levels were good. They're around 800 and to come in on the Friday and get them tested again. So on the Friday I went in again, thinking that it was just going to be a blood draw. Um, but my doctor said like, we might as well just have another quick look. It doesn't take any time. And so we had another ultrasound and there you could, we could see the sack, which was nice and reassuring, um, just to know that it was in the right location. And, um, I remember I cycled home feeling so happy and my doctor did call me that day with the second, uh, blood draw and my HCG levels were at 2000. Um, so that was really great. It more than doubled. Um, I found this calculator online for HCG values and it was kind of like the top of the range. Um, I also just, it was really important for me to talk to my doctor then uh, when she called me with the levels because I was like, okay, so there is something there. And again, that external reassurance was, was somehow really important for me. And I felt really crazy at that point, but I remember um, I hadn't asked my doctor for like a, an ultrasound picture of the sack. Um, 
And in retrospect, I was thinking, you know, this is like the first photo of, of, or like, was, you couldn't even see the baby, but like some sort of existence of it. And um, I, in that call, I asked the doctor um, for a picture and I had cycle back to pick that up. I should also say this is all during lockdown. And so I had to go to all these appointments alone. And part of the reason I wanted that picture was also to be able to, um, to share it with my partner and with my family. Um, so I, I like cycled back at the picture. Um, and the plan was basically to have an appointment again in two weeks. Um, I didn't have a lot of symptoms. I kind of had just one day of nausea. Um, and I was just kind of feeling a bit more out of breath and tired. Um, so just, we live on the fifth floor of a building and I just noticed, um, you know, even though you're not really carrying extra weight, there are changes to your cardiovascular system. And I think that starts quite early. Um, so that was the only thing I really noticed. I was a little bit tired, but nothing like I heard from other women. And at my next appointment in two weeks, I was supposed to be about seven weeks pregnant. Um, in the meantime, I started looking for a midwife, which is really early, but um, we live in Munich and it's it, because it is a bigger city, it's just really hard to find midwives. You're entitled to have a midwife um, support you throughout your pregnancy and afterwards. And um, even though that's you're entitled to that not every woman get, gets access to one because there just aren't enough midwives um so I just kind of I emailed a lot of people um and one of them ended up responding and I went up and met with her she also said she preferred to meet people earlier on and I I remember that being a conscious decision as well to find a midwife early on um, because I was thinking you know if something does go wrong I really want to have that support system as well um, so I, I was really lucky with that. Um, then about two weeks later, I, I did go to my appointment and we did another ultrasound. It's kind of crazy in retrospect how many ultrasounds I had. <laughs> um, but at that point, I was supposed to be about seven weeks, but the baby measured uh, six weeks. And it was a bit strange at that point uh, because I knew exactly when I ovulated. Um, so it, there was like this little fear that, that was there, but the doctor said not to worry about it and that she sees that a lot. Um, we saw the yolk sac and the fetal pole and we saw a little flicker of a heartbeat as well. So I have to say as well, I'm really, really thankful for the way ultrasounds are done in Germany because I hear a lot of stories from the States where the ultrasound texts don't show you the screen. Um, they're not allowed to really say anything. And here they're all done with your doctor. And, um, you know, there's a giant screen on the wall. She was also, my doctor was also really mindful about turning the other screen towards me. She kept showing me everything on the screen and explaining what was there. And, and I just feel really, really thankful for that. I think it would be a, uh, extremely nervous if I didn't have that. Well, but, uh, yeah. Have that here. Like, um, my clinic, my OBGYN slash midwife, um, they do have like the screen and they tell you what's going on. So I think it's, it depends on like credentials or type of clinic or something. So it's not everywhere, um, which I did not know that. And so I'm glad I found a doctor that wasn't like that. Yeah, that's so good. I, I think that whole system of not showing women what's going on is so cruel. It's 
who came up with that? Um, our healthcare system is it's insane. So yeah. It just goes with everything else. But that totally. could be another rant for another day. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, no, definitely. I have a lot, a lot to rant uh, on that as well. So where was I? Um, yeah. So during that ultrasound, I took pictures and I took a video from my partner of the heartbeat. Um, I also got in Germany, there's, you get basically, it's, it's called a mother pass. It's like a mother passport. And uh, Germany is notoriously not digital. Um, so basically, it's, it's like a little booklet where you have uh, stickers and doctor's notes, and you just take it to all of your appointments. And every doctor that you see writes in it, and there'll be stickers with your lab results, your blood type. Um, then when you give birth, you also take it, and they have all of the information that they need there. Uh, it's, yeah, more or less a sticker book. <laughs> um, but I got that then, and... Um, and I, I also talked to a friend after this appointment. She asked me if measuring behind was something that would worry me. And it did feel a bit strange, but until she asked that, I, I didn't really feel worried about it. Um, I did do some Googling and I saw a lot of positive stories of women who, who were measuring behind and who ended up catching up and having a normal pregnancy. So I tried to just focus on that. And I was also just reassured that we saw the heartbeat um, I also found this table with miscarriage risks and would also kind of check it every day to see if the, you know, like just to get that reassurance that the risk was going down. Um, I was really aware of the risk of pregnancy loss, especially in the first trimester. And so um, I would also always check when I wiped. Uh, anytime I felt that sort of twinge, I would uh, end up going down the spiral and Googling um, but I had no big symptoms. Like I said, I, I just thought I was one of the lucky ones. And a few days after that ultrasound, we went to spend Christmas with my partner's family. We would have liked to wait a little bit to tell them about the pregnancy because there was a loss in the family a year before. So we wanted to kind of save them that heartache. Uh, but it was something that was impossible to hide. You know, people would know as soon as I wasn't having a beer. And so we ended up telling his family then, and they were, they were really happy, but they were also very reserved because of the loss the year before. Um, and during that trip, it was, it was just really funny to me to also see the way that people treat you differently when you're pregnant. Um, you know, like the different portion sizes that people suddenly give you. I remember his dad went to the grocery store and came back with pickles and iron juice and, um, everyone just like suddenly puts you up on a pedestal. Um, and, and that was like an experience in itself. Um, and while we were there, I did get a lot more tired. I was, I was extremely tired during this time. I was about eight weeks, uh, seven, eight weeks. And I would sleep about 12 hours a day and also nap for two to three hours a day. So, uh, so that, that was, you know, it was good to like have, that fatigue as a symptom because I didn't feel nauseous at all. And after Christmas, we got back home uh, right before New Year's and I was starting to feel a bit better. I kind of thought the peak symptoms were behind me. We spent New Year's with friends and, um, you know, we were just really excited. We talked a lot about how different the year would be. And at that point, I was still tired, um, but didn't have much else. And 
I also did, I didn't take my temperature throughout, but when I wasn't feeling as tired anymore, I did take my temperature and it was a bit lower, um, but I thought it just fluctuates and um, I shouldn't worry about it. And I was still checking these miscarriage risks um, and seeing them go down day by day. And, um, you know, we allowed ourselves to get more and more excited. I also, um, I remember seeing a chart that said that I was almost, um, you know, a third of the way through the pregnancy. And I was thinking I need to start relaxing a bit more and start enjoying this time. And I even went out of my way to read about missed miscarriage because I was, I was thinking that if I inform myself about it, it won't happen to me. It's kind of like, um, like when you take an umbrella with you, it's, almost less likely to rain and the rain always catches you when you don't have your umbrella. And that's kind of how I thought about Miss Miscarriage. I was like, you know, I'll read about it just in case. So my next appointment was on the 14th of January and I was more or less 11 weeks at that point. I, leading up to the appointment, I researched a lot of ultrasounds and I watched videos of ultrasounds. I, was also using a lot of pregnancy apps and uh, seeing ultrasound photos of other women at that point. And I did feel nervous, but I just, I thought of it as like a milestone, you know, I'll go to this appointment and afterwards it'll, it'll just be better. And I'll allow myself to relax a little bit more. And um, I went to the appointment and one of the, really ironic because uh, they give you a cup to pee in at the beginning of the appointment. And I just couldn't pee. I, went to the bathroom like five times an hour it felt like regularly and at this appointment I just couldn't pee I ended up chugging like six glasses of water and there was still nothing and um and then I went to the doctor at first she took uh, my blood pressure which was really high and she was like you know you're probably nervous and and I was nervous and she's like well let's just go to the ultrasound let's let's uh, have a look and um Again, I could see the screen and right away I could tell that something was off. It didn't look at all like the images that I had researched. The baby was much smaller than I expected. Um, you could definitely see that it had grown compared to the last ultrasound, but it was all bunched up and um, at, at the bottom of the uterus. You could see an arm and the head and the legs, but it was just really still. And the doctor, she kept looking around. She switched the view to see um, the vascular connections and there was just no vascular connection at all. The baby measured at seven plus one, which means that the heart and growth stopped exactly at Christmas. And again, the doctor, she was really kind. She kept checking. She told me, um, I wish I had better news. And I was just shocked. I couldn't say anything. Um, I got dressed and we sat down. And she told me about my options. She said I had two options, so... I could either take the pills or I could get the DNC. 
technically I could also wait it out and wait for my body to do it naturally. But she said, given that it had been almost four weeks and nothing had happened, she wouldn't recommend that. And she told me to think about the options and to come back the next day. And this time around, my partner was allowed to come with me. And I have to say as a side note, my doctor, um, she's just, she's really sweet. She emails me on the weekends and late at night. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful to have her. Um, but during this time, I was just in shock. There was no, no real reaction from me. Um, I remember walking out of that room and the secretary wanting to schedule my next appointment and to get my urine sample. And I told her that we don't need the urine sample. And her face just dropped. Um, once I got out of the doctor's office um, in the staircase, I called my partner and just that's when I really broke down. I told him that there's no heartbeat. And, uh, and then it just became really real. Um, I cycled home, which in retrospect was not safe because I was just hysterically crying. Um, and I, I just walked into the apartment and we just held each other and both cried for a while. And, um, and I cried that whole day and really most of every day for the next few weeks. I, one of the first things I did was I messaged everyone to tell them what happened. Um, we had told quite a few people and I was just really afraid of them asking about it when I wasn't prepared. And so I just, I wanted to get it out so that, um, so that they knew um, and that their messages wouldn't surprise me. And that night we went out and we got sushi and we shared a beer. And I just remember feeling like it was so wrong. Like I didn't want to be able to be eating that. Um, but the next, the next morning, it was pretty clear to me that I wanted a DNC. Um, I knew someone who had taken the pills and I'd heard a few horror stories about the pain and the bleeding. And I also just wanted to get to get it out of me as soon as possible. Um, and my doctor had told me that taking the pills could take a while. It could happen right away, but it could also take weeks and I might need extra dosages. I had also emailed my midwife and asked for her recommendation. And she also told me that a lot of people who take the pills end up having to have a DNC um, if your body doesn't clear everything out. And so everything just kind of added up to, to me being confident that I wanted the DNC. And again, I'm, I'm really thankful that I could just choose the best option for me without worrying about costs at all. Um, there was never any talk about that. And it was really just choose what you need. And so that morning was a Friday after my appointment. I ended up calling the hospital that's right next to us. And I asked them uh, 
I had to explain what happened and I asked them when the first available appointment would be. And they told me that I needed, I first needed an intro appointment before the surgery. And the first intro appointment was in a week, uh, which would mean that the surgery could be in two weeks or a week and a bit. And that just really made me panic because I needed to get it out of me as soon as possible. And and so I started just uh, panicking and calling all of the hospitals. Um, also birth clinics, um, but they only take you if your doctor is registered with them. Um, but basically I spent that morning calling four or five hospitals and between each call I would cry for 10 to 15 minutes and try to work up the energy to call the next place because each time I had to explain what happened and um, eventually one of the hospitals said that they could see me um, if I got there in half an hour and I got there this place was a catastrophe but I was also grateful that they were willing to see me um, I went, I got sent from room to room. Um, people were asking me, you know, why, why was I here and not there? Um, I also didn't have a referral yet because I was supposed to get that at my appointment with my doctor later that day. Um, and I had told them that on the phone and they were like, you know, don't worry about it. Like, just come see us and we can bring that later. But when I was there, people were scolding me for not having this referral. And it was just the experience itself was a bit of a nightmare. Um, there they did another ultrasound and, you know, it was just very clear. You could see the same thing. The baby was measuring at seven plus one and my gestational sac and my uterus had grown and they were measuring at uh, 11 plus three. Um, and so they prepped me for surgery on the Monday. I had to wait the weekend out. And I had missed this appointment with my doctor where we were going to talk about the options. Uh, but I had emailed her and we had to rush across town to get a referral from her before she closed. And that weekend was just horrible. Um, we went for long walks and, you know, just tried to be together and be there for each other. I it was really hard because I didn't even know how to think about it all. I was, you know, like, do you say that you're pregnant or that you were pregnant? Um, like the baby's still there, but it's dead. And I was also really scared that I would start miscarrying early before the surgery on Monday. Um, so that weekend was really hard and the night before, I, um, I packed my hospital bag and I was really afraid of the time in the hospital and of being alone. You know, I ended up packing like two books and two pairs of AirPods and all of these things just because I was afraid of that time and I didn't know what I would need. And to be honest, I, I just don't know how I survived that Monday morning. I woke up at five um, and had to take the cytotech to dilate my cervix for the surgery. And it just felt so wrong to take it. Like I, I took it and then I got back into bed and just couldn't stop crying because it felt like 
you know, even though I knew my baby was dead, it just felt like I was doing something to harm it. And it was still dark. And at 7 a.m., we had to drive to the hospital. The hospital was empty and I couldn't find the room that I was supposed to go to. I'd been given the wrong room number. Um, so I was wandering around this empty hospital. Eventually I got there and there were, there was a room for four people and there were already two other girls there. Eventually one more came, but that experience in the hospital was just a nightmare in itself. There, I found the doctors to be really nice, but a lot of the nursing staff and secretaries, they just had no empathy for the situation. Um, there were no real explanations of where to find things. Um, like I had, I saw that uh, the other girls had bottles of water and, you know, eventually I found it down the hall, but there was no, no sort of explanation of any kind, like no sort of here's the bathroom. If you need anything, um, call us. And what was also really hard was that there were no real appointments for the DNCs. So they basically only get you in between emergencies. And that means that you just don't know when they're coming for you. Um, so anytime you hear footsteps or you hear someone coming down the hall, you wonder like if they're coming for one of you and you wonder for which one. And that, that, that just felt really cruel. And, um, and I was really a hot mess in this hospital room. I was just crying and shaking and the other girls seemed really cool um they were a lot more calm and collected and um I was also I remember feeling kind of guilty because I was afraid that these other women were in there for maybe for a voluntary procedure and I didn't want to make them feel bad if that was their choice so I ended up um saying you know I I don't expect you guys to say uh, why you're here but I just want to explain um, why I am and so I told them about that and they ended up sharing their experiences as well um, one of the one of the women had experienced a miscarriage three months ago uh, but there was still some tissue um, that hadn't cleared out and so she was getting a surgery for that and another girl had started miscarrying naturally but she also had a hematoma and the doctors wanted to have a DNC just to make sure that they got everything. And that was really cathartic to speak to them. Um, even though at first it felt horrible to be in this room with other people, um, it was just a really nice source of support in the end. Uh, and even though I had packed so much stuff for the hospital, um, I ended up mostly just staring outside of the window. Um, it was snowing outside and I tried to say goodbye to my baby. I really wanted the surgery, but I also didn't. So I, I ended up being the second in line for the DNC. Um, one of the girls in the room with me, she had also suggested testing and that was something that was something that I had thought about before, um, but didn't spend that much time researching because my main priority was to just um, get it over with. And at that point, after her suggestion, I ended up frantically asking about testing uh, right before the anesthesia. 
And the doctor told me that they could do testing, but that it was very expensive and most likely it wouldn't come up with anything. And in my mind as well, I wasn't sure if I wanted it because I remember thinking, you know, if something, if like a genetic issue comes up, I think it would give me some peace of mind. But if nothing came up, then I was really afraid of how that would make me feel. I think that would have really amplified a lot of my guilt. And so I decided not to do the testing. I woke up after the surgery, just feeling really empty and numb. I remember sitting there and, you know, your breasts are still swollen at 11 plus two or three. I wasn't really showing that the shape of my stomach was different. Um, And after the surgery, I just felt really like my stomach was still there and my breasts were still swollen, but I knew that I was empty. And after the DNC, um, it was really, again, part of this nightmare situation. Um, The doctors didn't really come in to tell you about the surgery until hours after. They explained the whole situation um, and the surgery in front of everyone else, which is just kind of crazy when you think about confidentiality. Thankfully, we had talked before, but like, what if these girls didn't want to share what they were going through? And... Sorry, go ahead. Okay, I thought you wanted to say something. Oh, oh, no, Uh, I'm so sorry, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that was was just shocking. And I, I at one point felt this wave of blood. And so I called the nurse and she just had a quick look at my pad and was like, you know, that's nothing. Like only call me if there's a lot of blood and so I didn't really push. I think I was just still quite numb. I didn't push much. But then another girl in the room said, oh, yeah, but you haven't even gotten to the bathroom yet. You know, it's been like two hours. And um, and I think at that point, the nurse realized they had kind of just forgotten me there. Um, and she helped me get up and go to the bathroom. And at that point, I think she saw that the whole bed was covered in blood and my whole night shirt was covered in blood. Um, and, you know, it's just that kind of like negligent care, um, that just, that made this whole experience a lot harder. Um, and to, to top it off, um, the whole time you can hear all of the women labor and giving birth the floor below. Um, so that was hard. And right before I was discharged, they gave me some papers with the summary of the, of the procedure. And that was the first time I saw um, on the, in the papers, it said week 12. And, you know, it makes sense because you're always like, I was 11 plus two. So it was, you have 11 weeks done um, and you're in the 12th week. And I think just seeing week 12 on these papers was another shock in and of itself, because that's when things are supposed to be good, you know? Um, And of course, then you see medical descriptions for what happened. So seeing missed abortion um, was also hard because 
abortion to me implies something active and it wasn't at all something that I wanted. And the mornings after the DNC, they were really hard because each day you wake up to this new reality. I ended up having the week off and I'm thankful for that. I could have easily asked for more time. Um, and my partner also inefficiently took the week off. Um, he was just really open with his colleagues, um, explained what was going on. And we just went for long walks every day. I, um, I also researched online what helped other women go through this experience. And I read about acupuncture. So I found a naturopath and went to her. And, and I think I'm really grateful that I did. I think that was a really important stepping stone for me. It was partially a therapy hour. And um, she also did some acupuncture and gave me a belly massage. And that massage really helped me connect with my body again, because at first, I just, I wanted to stop caring for my body. I just, I felt like it betrayed me and I just didn't want to care for it anymore. I kind of during pregnancy, I'd bought all these oils and I was like regularly massaging my belly and I had taken all these vitamins. And after I got the news about the miscarriage, I just stopped doing all of that and going to the naturopath really helped me start taking care of myself again. And she also gave me a prescription for an herbal tea and I think that also helped me because um, it helped me feel like I was doing something instead of just wishing the time away. And I had also gone to see my midwife. Uh, it was kind of crazy because she had to pretend that she saw me before I knew about my loss because otherwise there's no care for miscarriage. Like there's no uh, support after loss. But I was grateful that she saw me. And it was just really calming to talk to her. Um, she also gave me a massage and did some acupuncture. She told me that a lot of first pregnancies end in loss. Um, and she said it's almost like the body needs to, to rev up to carry a pregnancy to term. Somehow I found that reassuring. Um, I, Like I said, it wasn't that I had a belly, but I was definitely fuller in the middle. And that was hard after the miscarriage. Um, the midwife also told me that, you know, a lot of the hormones, what they do is they relax your muscles and, um, and just make you a bit softer overall. And she also reassured me that the, the DNC was the right choice, uh, for me. Um, even though I was really sure about my choice beforehand afterwards, I ended up kind of doubting, um, my decision now and then. And... You know, what was hard too is even if you do a lot of research and you're informed, uh, a lot of these guilty thoughts enter your brain. You know, I, I ended up thinking a lot about um, like maybe I shouldn't have eaten that slice of prosciutto or that cheese or maybe that hot water bottle was too hot or I shouldn't have leaned against that oven. Or, you know, what if that alcohol-free beer had too much alcohol? And at first I was, I was really ashamed to say these things out loud. But eventually I did. I shared them with the midwife and I shared them with a friend. Um, actually, this was really helpful. I shared them with a friend who's very rational and she would just do a lot of research and just like squash all of my concerns and crazy thoughts. And um, and it was really important for me to share these thoughts because it, it helped disarm them and it helped prevent me from spiraling even more.
Yeah. And I don't want to throw anyone under the bus because everyone was also struggling to deal with the loss. I mean, all of our friends and family, but it was really hard because you don't only have to, to, to go through this process of pregnancy loss, but you also have to process how everyone around you processes the news. Um, you know, this going through a miscarriage, it's really hard for you, but it's also really hard for the people who care for you and everyone's dealing with it in their own way. So it's, it's not just your loss. It's, it's also your family's loss and everyone's searching for answers. Um, even though there are none and, you know, I think everyone's intentions are good, but sometimes the things that they say are, are still really hurtful. So, you know, people around us were looking for, for causes, um, saying that maybe I got pregnant too soon after I got off birth control, or maybe that I had exercised too much without really realizing that these things put the blame on me. Um, you know, I also had people say that maybe I'm upset because my hormones are out of whack. Um, my mom, she's really far away in the States and I think it was really hard for her to be so far. Um, and the way that played out was that she would ask me how I am about five times a day. And, um, and even though that was well-intentioned, it just, you know, it was kind of like a reminder uh, that I'm not doing well. And at some point I ended up feeling, you know, pressured to say something different, um, to, to say that I'm, I'm doing okay when I wasn't, but thankfully I could talk to her about that. And she, she's really understanding. Um, what was also hard for me too, was that when people tried to frame it in a positive light uh, before that I'm, I was ready to see it that way. Um, and, you know, like I said, I think people tried to help. Um, you also want to help yourself. And what makes this whole thing more difficult is you just don't know how, you know, I, my partner kept asking, like, how can I be there for you? How can I help? And I just, I didn't have an answer. Like, I didn't know what I needed and I didn't know what would help me. Also, some people just kind of avoid you. Um, that's also hard. Um, you have a lot of people tell you stories about others to whom it happened. Um, and I think the reason that was hard was also because I personally wasn't worried about the future. I was just struggling to process this situation and, um, and talking about others just kind of, it misses the point for me. Um, but like I said, I think no one really knows what to do. I feel like our whole society hasn't really prepped us to be there for one another. And, um, and I'm not saying this to blame others. I know it's hard for everyone. I also wouldn't have known what to say. And I, I still think I would struggle to find the right words um, to support someone. But I think it's important that we talk about it so that we get better at this um, and, and so that we're able to support other women in these situations. Yeah, um, I totally you know, agree. Yeah. And I've heard people talk about this before. I think, I really think the most important thing is just to like sit in that pain um, with you and not, I think it's important not to try to make it better because you can't make it better. There's, there's no solution. It's just important to like sit in that space and, and make space for all of the feelings that come, come up. And um, yeah, I had told a lot of people about it. I guess it's kind of a character thing, but 
Um, I just didn't have the energy to pretend that I was okay. So there were no sort of announcements, but whenever anyone asked me how I was doing, I would tell them. And that really hurt, um, talking about it really, really hurt. And I broke down a little bit each time because I think each time I talked about it, it just made the experience more real. Um, but even though it was painful, I think it was really important for healing and it's still hard to talk about it as you can see. Um, but I, I, I feel a really strong need to do so. Um, so yeah, after, after the DNC, I had mild spotting for about two weeks. Um, the physical part for me was mostly okay. It's just that it, it took a while for my boobs to um, reduce in swelling and for, yeah, for my belly shape to kind of go back to normal. I think it, my body's still quite different. Um, it feels very different to before my pregnancy still. Um, I ended up also getting a rash on my stomach and it was right after the DNC. At first I thought it was, it was nothing and that it would go away. But over time, it kind of spread um, all over my stomach and my back and legs. And, um, and this ended up being a postpartum rash um, that you sometimes get um, because your liver's kind of overloaded trying to break down the hormones and then the stress is added on top of it. Um, but that was really difficult for me to read the word postpartum because um, I think it was just the realization that your body is postpartum, but you have no baby there. Yeah. Um, and then two or three weeks after the DNC, I ended up getting an ultrasound to check that, um, that they had gotten everything and that um, my uterus uh, lining looked okay. I went to the doctor with a list of questions. I was also really nervous about what she would say. I just wanted to start trying to get pregnant again right away. And there's a lot of mixed research out there about how long to wait. I think the recommendation from the WHO is to wait three months. And I was really afraid that my doctor would say that I had to wait three months. Um, a lot of recent research shows that you can start wait, trying again right away and that actually your chances of getting pregnant and having a live birth are higher if you get pregnant soon after miscarriage. But still, I was really nervous about where my doctor would would um, what her position would be. And it was really hard as well, because when I got to the office, the receptionist thought that I was still pregnant. Um, she wanted to give me, uh, one of these mother passes and, um, you know, I had to like tell her that I was actually there for miscarriage treatment. Um, that was difficult, but at least everything looked okay. And I went in a week later for HCG readings and I was, I'm really, I'm still really angry about this. I'm really angry that there's no information on HCG levels going down after miscarriage. Um, in general, I feel like there's very little interest in, in the female body after miscarriage. Um, when you compare it to early pregnancy, there's so many charts about HCG levels rising and what you can expect. And after pregnancy loss, there's zero information and I used the app Kandara and um, I went through there and tried to look for other miscarriage charts to try to understand what to expect um, I feel like that was one of the only sources of information was other women's miscarriage charts um, and I think there's there's really a lot of aspects to miscarriage that you don't think about like 
seeing a positive pregnancy test after a loss and the fact that it takes your body time to break down these hormones. Um, you know, you still kind of feel pregnant for a while until this happens. And that's something I had just never really thought about. You know, I always thought like, it must be really hard to go through a miscarriage, but there's so many aspects to it that I, I just never thought about. And yeah, it took me about five weeks to get my period. Um, I had a lot of mixed feelings about getting my period. It was, it felt like the end of something, but also the beginning of something new. And um, after I got my period, I got my HCG checked again and it was at six. Um, so we were given an okay to start trying again. Um, so just to back up a little bit, about two weeks after the DNC, we were, we had a phone call, a video call with someone who's really close to us, and they told us that they're pregnant. And that was really, really hard because I felt really ambushed in this video call. I had a lot of mixed feelings because you are happy for them. Um, but it's also really overwhelming. There's a lot of guilt that comes up because you can't be fully happy for them. Um, I felt a lot of jealousy, this, just this immense sadness and anger. And her due date is about a month after mine. That makes and, it so much harder. Yeah, I just, um, I just still have a lot of anxiety about having this constant reminder there, you know. And I still have a lot of anger around how they told us. I feel like that was just a whole another thing to process. And they told us about this, um, you know, when, when we were still in a phase where we couldn't even be trying, we had to use protection. I was like still spotting. It was just really hard to get the news in, in that way and at that time. And there's been a lot of other factors that I think have made it really hard for me to process. Um, I think the miscarriage alone would be hard enough, but there's layers on top of it that have just really multiplied how difficult the experience feels for me. Like, for example, the lockdown um, and having to do everything alone. I also, with the lockdown, can't really take care of myself in, in ways that I normally would. Like I would love to go on a trip right now um, to take my mind off of things and just to get some new input or I'd love to go to the movies, but I can't do any of that. And um, I think it was also hard to have seen the heartbeat and the fact that it was a miscarriage and it was really traumatic to know that I had been carrying around a dead baby for, for a month. And I just felt like I really couldn't trust my body anymore. Um, and another thing that also plays into it is um, that I'm not very happy in my job right now. And, you know, being pregnant was, was sort of a way out. And suddenly I had to like face that reality as well. I had also had two job interviews during pregnancy. And I think I was also kind of kicking myself for not having taken those uh, more seriously. So I was thinking back to that as well. I, on the medical side, I ended up pushing for thyroid and blood clotting tests. Um, I know that's not really uh, standard care until you've had several miscarriages, but it was really important for me to get that testing done. I just had this fear that, like, what if I got pregnant again and 
had another loss and we found out it was a thyroid issue that we could have easily fixed uh, with some meds. And I just, I needed that peace of mind for myself. And the doctors were really all over the place with this. They, um, you know, I had some doctors who were, had this attitude of get over it and move on, or this is over the top to ask for these tests. But I also had some doctors who um, said things like, you know, it's good you're getting this test. The recommendation should change on this. Like, why not just check it? It's such an easy thing to do. And I also got a referral for a therapist. Um, I haven't used it yet, but I just felt the need to have that resource there and ready. Um, as you can tell, I'm still really emotional about the whole experience, but I don't feel like my thoughts are out of the norm of like normal grief. And I've been talking to, you know, a lot of my friends and family and I'm a little bit talked out um, to some extent. I didn't really feel the need to see a therapist yet. And I haven't identified any like extremely negative thoughts that I'm concerned about, but I still needed to get that referral just to know that I have that at my fingertips if I need it. And I looked into a new gynecologist, even though my doctor is really sweet and supportive. I, it was really hard to call all of these hospitals. And here, um, the way it works is your normal OBGYN, um, they might not be able to actually deliver babies. Uh, so they, there are certain doctors who, are also, who also deliver babies, but not all of them do. And so my doctor doesn't actually do deliveries. Um, and that's why I ended up having to call the hospitals to get an appointment. Um, but if your doctor actually works in a hospital or in a clinic, um, they're able to do all of that. And so I, I felt a little bit like I wanted someone who could be there for me throughout the whole process. Um, so hopefully next time it's, you know, I'm, I'm there for a full term delivery, but also in case I go through this experience again, um, I wanted someone who who would be able to be there for me throughout the whole process. And I got a recommendation from my midwife and went to see him. I had really high expectations. Um, and I, the whole appointment was a bit strange because there was no real need for me to be there. Um, it wasn't like I was getting a screening or anything. And I, I didn't feel so sure about which directions take this in yet. Um, so I, I still haven't decided on that yet, but that was more confusing than I expected. Um, I got my vitamin levels checked as well. And I switched to a folate based vitamin just in case, because why not? I have also been going on regular long walks and listening to countless episodes of the life after miscarriage podcast. I feel like this is like my therapy hour and it's been really a really important lifeline for me. And I also have to say, I feel really, really supported by friends and family. You know, sometimes people say things that are hurtful, but they've also been there for me in, in just the most incredible way. Um, you know, friends and family have sent packages, um, flowers, like they've done like remote wine tastings. Some of them have dropped off like homemade chocolates. Uh, Oh, you know, just sent me like movie and show recommendations or like friends who have come over for a game night just to take my mind off of things or just checked in to let me know that they're thinking of me. It's been really amazing, actually. And, Great. Uh, yeah. And 
for a while I um I didn't really feel like seeing people um but one day we walked past a friend's place and we just decided to text them and um and ask them if they wanted to go for a walk and even though I didn't plan for it and I wouldn't have sought it out otherwise um it felt really good um it was also a bit shocking because it was the first time that I could talk about the experience without crying and that itself was such a minefield of emotions like you you want to feel better and you want time to pass but when that happens you start feeling guilty for it and there's just like so many contradictory emotions that you have to make space for and for me there's an, a lot of triggers as well like um for example for valentine's day my partner cooked this really beautiful meal um and we opened a nice a nice bottle of wine um and i ended up just crying because i didn't want to be able to drink that wine and i didn't want to be able to eat that steak um or like recently i had a follow up with my dermatologist and i had gone to an appointment there the day that i found out that i was pregnant and when i made this follow up appointment i remember thinking that the next time i see her i'll probably be you know, four to five months along. And here I was going to this follow-up appointment and life was just really different. And um, getting my second period hit me really hard. That happened about a week and a half ago, which is, um, I think, also why I'm so fragile right now. Um, it's so recent. You do not have to justify why you are so upset. Um, yeah. I don't mean to interject and I just want you to have that validation because... Um, I mean, I can tell you I'm three years out from my first loss. I have my rainbow baby, but I still, whenever I think about the trauma of my losses or whenever I think about what I lost in those children, I'm still emotional. You're always going to feel this grief. It's just not going to be so heavy. That's what I, I like to prepare people for. Yeah. And it's, it's been interesting because before getting my second period, I was really feeling a lot more stable. And, and this was just like another event that just, it just knocked me back down and I feel really raw again. And, you know, people talk about how it comes in waves and and this is like the perfect example of that. Um, I think it was just really disappointing for me because the first period was like the beginning of being able to start trying again. And, and this time was just, it was just like, First of all, I'm not pregnant. And second of all, again, I had uh, a really short cycle. And it also kind of means that I won't be having a baby this year. And, um, and that was just all a lot to process. And I think what's also hard is like people kind of expect me to be better by now. But, um, but that sec- second cycle also just made me feel like my body's not yet recovered. Um, and I'm also personally not really back to myself. Like I'm not really fun to be around right now. Um, I feel like I can't really be a good partner. And like, sometimes I also feel like I'm a bit of a, a burden for my friends and for my partner. Um, and it's, you know, it's been hard. Like I definitely want to talk about it a lot more than my partner. Um, and I know it's been really hard for him too. Like he's also suffered a loss and he's also sad. And I think there's also 
some invisible pressure that he has to be strong and he has to be there for me on top of it all. And I know it's not been easy for him. And yeah, I just, I really, he's been such a rock. Um, but I think one positive thing that comes out of all of this, if, if you can even phrase it that way is, um, now I feel like we're both really on the same page, um, in terms of moving forward. And I think we both really want to be pregnant again. So at least, uh, you know, compared to the beginning where I felt like I was the one pushing for it more, um, that it feels good to be, to be on the same page now. Um, yeah, it's also maybe one interesting thing is I feel a really strong need to talk about it all the time. Um, I think it's shocking for the people around me. Like I went to get my hair cut and like, I have all this like new baby hair that I think you grow during pregnancy and my hairdresser like commented on it. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I was pregnant or I went to the dead dentist and like randomly told him about it or in the stairway stairwell of our building um if a neighbor asked me how I'm doing I'm like I had a miscarriage and I just feel this like strong need to just like constantly bring it up and I think that's just because I want people to know that my baby existed totally absolutely and there's nothing wrong with that you know I it's like you said we want to it's like we want to somehow change how comfortable other people are and we don't really know where to start doing that but by sharing your story so openly and being so blunt in those moments that helps those people know what to say or do around you the next time or if they have somebody who in their life who goes through a loss they might be a little bit more careful and so while you're getting an insensitive comment um that could stop the next person you know, it kind of educates the people. Exactly. And that's like one of the biggest reasons I feel such a strong pull to share. And also I feel a pull to share now when it's still really tender. Um, because I think I think sharing from this really emotional space with all of the details around it, um, I, I think it's really important um, to remember those details because when you're in that, that moment, those are all of the things that you focus on, you know? And over time, you kind of like brush past them. Um, But for women who are in that moment, I just, I want you to know that you're not alone, you know? I know that a lot of people listening to this will relate to so many things that you said. And, and, you know, a couple of things that you said that you didn't know if it was in the realm of normal. Um, Everybody wonders that and it's so sad that for something so common whenever we're going through it we feel so alone and there's not a lot of information there's not a lot of resources that are easy to find um unless you find other people sharing their story like you are right now so yeah exactly I found I found these personal stories um the most useful and thank you guys as well for for the platform um and also all of the women who have shared these stories like like I said it's been my lifeline Um, I, I also wanted to say like lately it's been extra difficult because a lot of pregnancy announcements have been popping up and a lot of photos of baby bumps. And I, I really feel like everyone around me is just, is due in August. Um, and like, there's kind of like a, a bomb waiting to go off around every corner, um, with a new announcement or a new photo or update from a friend. 
Um, of course, you also have like all of these Facebook ads that uh, continue after a loss. And it was really hard to go back into all of the pregnancy apps as well. Um, so it's just been really hard day to day. And it's truly like, it truly is the hardest experience I've had to go through. Like I was thinking about this and it's, it's rare that you have a full 180 degree change, both physically and emotionally. Um, I heard another girl say that it was like grieving for the future and I couldn't agree more. It's, you know, you have to let go of all these like plans and expectations one by one. And you're like constantly saying goodbye to all of these hopes and dreams. And then you start creating them again and letting go of them again. And it's just really exhausting. Um, Whenever I have sessions with um, women and they, they share that, how it feels like they're grieving a lot of different things. Um, I always bring up how in grief of, of pregnancy loss, especially like, you're having secondary grief for the dates and the things that you were planning and the events that you're going to miss out on in that child's life. And so the grief is deeper than the one person that died. It's like, it's so many things that go with it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think from the outside looking in, you think you have a miscarriage and then you move on, but it's, it's just like an ongoing process. Exactly. Uh Yeah, and I really don't like this about myself, but I'm really jealous of women who can experience a first pregnancy without loss because I feel like there's this lightness that is just gone forever. Um, And yeah, I totally relate to that. I'm a very jealous, like I'm, I'm very jealous to this day and I try to normalize jealousy in women in general because how can we not feel jealous? Yeah. Um, It's totally... I mean, I used to be like the green eyed monster before, especially before I had my rainbow pregnancy announcements, things like that. Like they just, they sent me spiraling for much longer than a few months after my loss. And so I I really do like urge you to not put a timeline at all, like allow yourself to feel jealous, even when you're pregnant again. Um, That's something that really surprised me is that that jealousy does not go away because it's like you said, it's jealousy of a first healthy pregnancy and that glow of never experiencing loss or just forever jealous of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that you then have to carry forever, you know? And yeah, I just, I feel like this whole experience has really changed me. Like, like I said, both mentally and physically, um, I cry at the drop of a dime now. Um, the shape of my body is different. Um, you know, you kind of, at first you kind of think the miscarriage is, is an end, but I feel like it's really a beginning and it's, it's a beginning of a new way of being in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned a lot of things like, it's been really hard to advocate for all of the tests that I've gotten, um, but that's something that I've been practicing. And I feel like I've really grown just in the way that I see the world and, um, and can empathize with other people's pain. Um, like I just feel really cracked open now. And yeah, but there's, there's also a few things that have helped me um, that I want to share. So I was talking to a friend and she was saying, you know, maybe this is, this is like more of a delay. And 
somehow that kind of helps me because it is a loss and I am processing that, but there are moments where I need to feel it in a lighter way. And then it really helps me to think of it as, as a delay. Like it's not the end of something. Um, I've, I've also been writing a lot. I just, I kind of write to figure out how I feel and also to work through my emotions. And that's been really useful. Um, like I said, I felt like my body really betrayed me. But when I was talking to my partner about it, I've kind of been able to see it in a different light. And my body just kind of went on being pregnant and doing everything it could do to su sustain the pregnancy, even though the baby was no longer alive. And, and in a way, you know, it kind of helped to shift from thinking that my body betrayed me to thinking it did everything it could to keep things moving forward. And I was also talking to a friend who I was telling her about a doctor's appointment I have. And she was like, cool. So you have your next milestone. And that has been like the framework with which I approach this experience. Like I try to always find the next milestone. And I think we do that with pregnancy. Like you have all of these milestones built in, in a pregnancy. And I've been trying to approach like the process of my miscarriage in the same way, you know, where like a milestone could be when I stop spotting or when I get my next period or when I have my next doctor's appointment or like all of these different things. And I think that's, that's been really important for me. Um, it just kind of gives me something to hold on to. And this sounds kind of strange, but, um, but small acts of service for other people have also helped me like snap out of my darkness um, so for example, like we have an elderly person living in our building and the whole building kind of takes care of him. Um, but like doing something small, like if I bake something, leaving it there for him, or I don't know, just really small things like that. It, it sounds strange, but I think it's, it can be really energizing and it can make you start feeling like yourself again. And I think at least for me, um, the desire to be a mom is also kind of related to wanting to take care of someone. Um, and so I find, you know, small acts of service is a way to channel that energy um, in a different way. And yeah, I, I also struggle because people kind of tell me to wait and give myself time before trying again, but honestly, I don't want to wait. Um, and sometimes that makes me feel a little bit guilty um, but I, I just don't think there's ever going to be a time point where I think, okay, now I'm over it and now I'm ready for the next thing. I, I think you never really get over it or I don't think I will, but I think I'll get through it. And that still means that it'll stay there with me forever. And I think I'll always be sad about it. But like you said, that sadness will just be, you know, less heavy at some point. Um, and I, hope that I can have this like joy in parallel like I feel like the sadness is there um but that moving forward that that's something that happens in parallel it's not like one after the other um and also just having those tests gave me that peace of mind that's something that I would encourage you to do if if um, you think that's useful for you and maybe one one other thing is the naturopath she told me that pregnancy is a creative process and that it's important to pick up another creative outlet and I'd never thought of it that way, but I do a lot of crafts and I, you know, I picked up weaving again and that has been really meditative for me. So 
Um, that was kind of an interesting recommendation that I hadn't heard before, uh, but found useful. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, you hear it a lot, but I think once you start sharing your story, you just realize that it's all all around you. Like miscarriage is really all around you. There's been so many people who experience it, and people start opening up to you. And I don't know. I have a lot of anger around the culture of miscarriage. I feel like women are really set up to grieve alone. I was talking to another friend who said, like, we were talking about this this unspoken three month rule, like where you're not really supposed to tell people that you're pregnant until three months. And he asked this question that I thought was really good. He said, Who is that for? Mm-hmm. Because it's not for the woman. It's it's really about protecting those around you at the cost of your own support. And it's it's just crazy to me. Um, I just, yeah, the culture around it is so toxic and I don't see why it has to be such a taboo and stigmatized topic. Um, and like you said, I feel like it can only change one, one story at a time. So I think it's so important that we like educate and inform each other. And yeah, I, yeah. I, one other thing that comes to mind is, um, it's been really surprising to me how when things are good, it's, you know, it's we're expecting, we're having a baby or we had a baby. Um, but as soon as it comes to miscarriage, there's indirectly so much blame on women. It's, it's no longer we are expecting uh, or we lost a pregnancy. It's suddenly she had a miscarriage. Um, and that's just, yeah. Like I said, there's a lot of anger, um, but I, I'm trying to use that anger to also change things. Um, so like by sharing my story, but I've also, I heard this in another um, episode where a woman has started making um, self-care packages for others. And I just ordered a ton of supplies and that's something that I want to start doing here as well. So um, I've emailed a lot of gynecologists and midwives to start distributing them. Um, I've also written two articles, one about the different ways that I've kind of helped myself get through the situation. And one is more, um, yeah, the different ways that I felt supported by others. Um, Because I think sometimes we talk about all the things that people do wrongly. And I did that as well. But I think it's important to also uh, offer alternatives for things that people can do to um, to support women going through the situation. So, you know, it's really, it's, it's also been a really big motivator for me. And yeah, like I said, it's the hardest thing that I've gone through. It's still really hard. And I just hope that, you know, sharing my story will help someone else. I feel like it's going to take a while to change this culture, but we can only really do it one story at a time. Yeah, exactly. Well, Elena, thank you so much for sharing your story so openly. And I think so many people are going to be able to relate and, you know, feel less alone just from hearing your experience and acknowledging your child all over the world. You know, I hope that brings you some comfort too, because it's really important work. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a really cathartic process. And like I said, I really want to thank you and Shelly. Uh, for creating this platform and also all of the women who have shared their stories it's it's been 
yeah, it's been a lifeline. The Miscarriage Doula is an online service and resource for those walking through miscarriage or navigating life afterward. Through one-on-one support sessions, group sessions, and digital resources, my approach is to help you identify healthy coping strategies and to be a safe place for you to discuss the hardships that you're experiencing. For more information on support sessions, visit themiscarriagedoula.co or you can click the link in the show notes.